right. It's good to see you all. This morning we're going to start in Matthew 25. Verses 31 through 46. The Bible says this. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this room full of people, this space that you've given us, to worship you and to learn about you. I pray that as I preach on this passage about the sheep and the goats, as we dissect what this parable is telling us, that you would speak through me, that it would be your message and not mine, that you would help me to listen to you as we speak and learn together, God. We love you and we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have this interesting story where Jesus takes the sheep and the goats and he separates them out. And he says to the sheep on his right, well done, you've done it. Good job, this is what I asked you to do and now you're gonna receive your inheritance for it because when I was hungry and when I was sick and thirsty, you cared for me. And then to the goats, he says the opposite. He calls them cursed and they're completely surprised I think that's the most important part about this, is that when he separates them out, the people that are on the left are completely surprised. They say, what do you mean we saw you hungry and thirsty and in prison and didn't help you? What do you mean we didn't visit you or welcome you in? And they're convinced that they've done everything right and that they should be on Jesus' right side just like the sheep. Maybe they were people who had gone to church their whole lives, or maybe they were just kind, thought that they were nice to other people, you know, pretty, would, would describe themselves as pretty good people, you know, they had friends that they took care of, and, you know, the people that were on their inner circle, they were nice to, and maybe they weren't outwardly rude to most people, so they thought that they had a place, and they're surprised, but Jesus says something profound, he says, I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink, 
I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And then he goes on to say the most important part. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. By neglecting the least, the goats had neglected Jesus. And I think that that is big. When we neglect people, when we refuse to love certain people because we think they're too far gone or they're too frustrating, when we gossip about people or tear people down, we're doing the same thing to Jesus. And this passage is telling us that when we do not do things for the least, for the worst of people, when we neglect them, we're directly not doing the same for God. That's big. We are very, very good at avoiding loving people when it's difficult or when we think it doesn't matter. We do things like curl our lip at the homeless guy on the corner saying things like, ugh, he's just going to buy drugs with the money if I give it to him anyway. Or we talk behind people's backs or we know that someone is in need, but it's going to inconvenience us or cost us something, so we turn our backs. Maybe we're afraid that if we give people something, they won't give it to us in return. And we don't want to give something that's not going to come back our way. But when we love others without expecting anything in return, without wondering if they deserve it or not, and without questioning whether or not it is worth it for us, we're loving Jesus well. It's clear in Matthew 25 that this mindset of expecting something in return for help or simply being unwilling to help someone else unless we believe that they deserve it is backwards. Jesus is saying that, that how we treat others is a direct reflection of our relationship with Christ and how we love Christ. I think sometimes we believe that loving people and loving God are two completely separate things. Like loving people is good and God, Jesus said to do it, right? And so we might think about loving people some of the time, but we don't really connect the two as if they are two sides of the same coin. Instead, it's like, okay, when I'm loving God, it's like when I'm off on my own and I'm doing devotions. And don't take me wrong here. I'm not saying that devotions are a bad thing ever. It's great to find alone time with God. But that is not the only way that we build a relationship with God. When we come to church on a Sunday morning, what we do when we worship individually is amazing. That's great. But that part of loving God isn't inherently separate from loving people. They're two sides of the same coin. In Mark 12, 28 through 31, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus answered, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus says that loving God and loving others are the two most important commandments. And right after the other, he doesn't leave one out. He doesn't wait for another time to teach them. He teaches them side by side because they are two sides of the same coin. You can't love God well without loving people well. 
Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa. They're inseparable. So the key to inheriting the kingdom of God is to love people as though you are loving Jesus and doing it because you are. When you love people well, when you reach out to people who are in need, when you put yourself aside to help others, no matter what it costs you, no matter whether they give you something in return, you are loving Jesus well. We are made in the image of God. Each one of us bears the image of God. There is Jesus in all of us. So I want to challenge you the next time that you feel inconvenienced by someone or someone is being really frustrating and you think, man, I could say something really rude right now. Think about the Jesus that is in them. Think about how loving them is an expression of your love for God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the love that you pour out on us and for the love that you fill us up with because we know that if it was just up to us, we would not be kind and loving. We would oftentimes fail. We would oftentimes treat others with selfishness and maybe even cruelty. But we know that when we give it up to you, when we give up those frustrations to you and we ask you to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit that is love and kindness, that you are good and faithful, that you fill us up with that love. Um, and we're talking about engaging. And Pastor Jules, uh, she opened up today really talking about what it looks like uh, in the end whenever you look at engagement. And uh, you, you get to this point that we believe that there's a point of judgment that you're going to stand there for the things that you did and the things that you didn't do. And uh, so there comes a point of that. And, you know, a lot of time we look at judgment as this, as this time that we stand for what the actions that we we did, but what this really points out is that sometimes it's even those things that we refuse to do, the things that we turned our, our heads to. And uh, so this week, I've, I've, really, I've really been, uh, man, really focused in on, on what does this mean to engage? What does engaging as a church, as an individual, truly look like? And so I started the week with a, with a meeting with my uh, a, uh, executive council and my student council for our Northwest Ohio district. And we were just talking about some different things that really spoke to these students. And, and, and get this, we have, we have students that are junior high students that serve on this council. We have students that are high school students, and we have students that are also college students. And so we're getting this broad perspective of, of what engagement looks like as we were discussing. And, and one of the things that one of our high school students pointed out was that uh, they wanted to be a bold generation. And so when we were talking about what, what does our theme look like uh, as a district for the next year, her suggestion was is to be a bold generation to be able to stand up for what it is that we believe in, to be able to speak out on those different things. And when I asked her, I said, so talk to me about this. What's your thoughts on that? And across the board, it was kind of this perspective that their generation really, truly was not a bold generation. So that got me thinking, and, and I was doing some research and looking some different things up, and I found in doing research 
this survey that was done, and it was this article that was talking about generations from World War II all the way up to current with these Gen Zers. And uh, it was kind of processing through uh, different things. And, and one of the main points of this article was talking about uh, protest and protesting. And uh, it was super interesting because it talked about the different protests that took place for World War II. And then you work from World War II and you worked your way up to, to the Vietnam era. And, uh, and so uh, the protests that took place around that and what did those look like and how did that generation protest. And then it kind of works its way up to uh, through some different wars and even up to current time now. And what it was talking about is, is this idea of how generations just kind of find, them way, find themselves back. There's these cycles. And believe it or not, coming from, from this generation that said, we don't have any boldness, what this was saying was the exact opposite. You see, what they are being covered in and saying that they're not being bold, that they're not being able to stand up for what it is, the Gen Zers are the ones that are in these protests that are going up and grabbing canisters and throwing them back. That's boldness. Like, you can't say that that is not boldness. And so they have the boldness there, but the, the know-how, the, the idea of how it is to engage is a little bit lacking. And so as you go back and you look through generations of time, I believe that it's our fault as a church that we've gotten to this point where Christians no longer want to engage people. They're okay engaging each other because that's safe. I can go to Ethan and I can talk to Ethan about Jesus and I know that's safe because he also loves Jesus. But if I go up and say Jesus, the name of Jesus to the wrong person, I might offend you. And so I'm not going to do that. You see, when we talk about these words, discipleship and evangelist, I, I, throw those, I threw those two words out to this group of people. All right. And so the first one was this evangelist. Like, what is that? When you think of that word, that's a churchy word. When you think of that word, what do you think of? Immediately, one of our college students speaks up and says, I think of the person that stands on the box screaming at people on the street corner. Okay, all right. And then they gave me an example of something I saw when I went to Winter Jam was this person standing there screaming at everybody leaving a Christian concert and telling everybody that they're going to hell. Like, they just experienced Jesus in this massive way, and then you're going to stand out here in the middle of everybody telling them that they, like, they're going to hell for doing that? Like, what? And then you, you get this idea of discipleship, and they, what, what the perspective is on discipleship, and this isn't just this Gen Z generation. I believe that this is many generations, that we form this idea that to be a disciple, to be able to disciple somebody, it's to be able to call them out, to be able to call out their sins, to be able to call out the things that they're doing. And so therefore, I'm uncomfortable with doing that, and so I don't want to do that. And so we have found our place in a place that, that ourselves in a place that we don't want to engage. And, and the reason why is because we've been taught wrong. So hear me out for just a minute. When we talk about this idea of engaging, because we have to exchange the old for the new to be able to engage, what does that truly look like? 
And so when you think about that word disciple and you think that it means to go out and call somebody else, think again. What these disciples did of Jesus is they went out and they loved on people. They took care of people. They provided for people. They stood up and they stood for the name Jesus and everything that they did. But we believe the opposite a lot of times, that we just need to call people out. And if they don't fit our little circle, then what's the point? Why? Why should I even take my, my time on that? And so here's what we're challenging ourselves as a church, is this idea of engagement. Getting out and doing the work of Jesus. You see, I've been in churches before where, where this was the comment that was made. I, I don't need to go out and talk to my friends. I bring them to church because that's your job. That's your job. You're the pastor. That's your job to tell people about Jesus. That's not my job. That's not my job. I, I, I'll bring them to church, and they can hear about Jesus from you, but it's not my job to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm sitting here telling you this right now. Like, it, you're, you're dead wrong if you have that kind of mentality. It's our responsibility, our responsibility. When, when we formed this church, and I'm telling you, I'm talking like back in like January, February, we made this declaration as a church group, as a, as a committee, as a launch team, as a plant team, that we weren't going to be this traditional church where I go and stand next to the front door and shake everybody's hand as they leave, and then I'm the one that people go to. And, and we made this declaration, we made this idea and this, this statement that here's what we're going to do. Sarah's going to minister to people. Kristen's going to minister to people. Mary's going to minister to people. Pastor Doug, Pastor Jules, Sky, like everybody's going to take time to minister to people, to pour in to people, that it's not about one person, because I am no different from, from you. I've just been given a little bit different of a gift, and we talked about the gifts last week. And so you've been charged with this big thing of being, ab being able to get out and to engage people for Jesus. And so here's a challenge that I'm giving you, not just here, but I'm going to give you a challenge online as well. So stick with me here, but I'm going to challenge you here in person first to go out and to bring somebody to church. Take that first step. Invite somebody to come with you. That's all it takes, that simple invite. You might get a no. You might get a no for four months, but then you have a story like Brittany after four months saying no, she shows up and she's baptized and she's serving and being a part of a church. You never know who's going to be that person that's going to say yes, and all it takes is that subtle invite. The other thing that I want to challenge you, and I want to challenge you online to this as well, is that you need to engage people, which means you're not going out and calling out their flaws, because here's the issue. Here's the issue. If you go out and you start calling people out, what you're doing is you're taking away the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here to convict people of their sin, to convince people of their sins. That's not your job, but a lot of times we try to put that job on, on us. That that's our job. We have to tell you that you're doing wrong. No, no, no. You're taking away the job of the Holy Spirit if you do that. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. You do the work that you're called to do, and that is to love and to care and to nurture that person. And so if you don't have somebody right now that you're walking with, I want to challenge you, whether you're here 
or you're online, find somebody that you can walk with today. Don't go another day without it. I challenge my staff to this, and I want to challenge every single person in this movement congregation to do that. Walk with somebody. Talk with somebody. I think there's a hymn about that. I'd start singing it, but I don't know it. This isn't a new concept. So I want to challenge you. Walk with somebody. Engage somebody. Be there for somebody. Listen, if you're online and you're part of our online community, invite somebody to come sit in your living room with you. Maybe it's somebody, maybe you sit at home and you have family that are in the other rooms while you're watching this. Invite them to come and sit down with you, to engage with you, to be a part of this with you. Call a friend, call a family member, have them come over, make this a thing. We have these things called watch parties here at Movement Church. Start a watch party there at your place. Let us help you get people in in your door and you be the church right there in your living room, right there in your kitchen, wherever it is that you're meeting. Engage people where you are are. And that's what church is all about. And so as a movement of people exchanging our old to engage in what God's called us to do so that we can experience him in big ways, we must engage. Because the true reality comes down to this. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? And if you can't sit here today and honestly tell yourself, you can convince yourself all you want. And you can sit here and go, I know that I'm a sheep. But be honest with yourself today. Where do you truly stand? Because lying to yourself in the end doesn't get you anywhere. Be honest with yourself. Challenge yourself. Take yourself to that next step, to that next level in engaging people, engaging Christ, and engaging in what God has called you to do. Father, I thank you so much for what it is that you continue to do and how it is that you continue to show yourself time in and time again. We're excited for these things that you continue to do within the church. And and Father, I pray today that you lay a name on our hearts, a name that we can put in the backseat of our car, a, a person that could ride along with us to church. Maybe it's a friend that we can just send a text message to just saying, hey, I want you to know I'm here for you. To say I love you. You called us to engage, Father. To push us and challenge us. To truly engage for your kingdom. Jesus, I love you. And I praise you in everything that I do. Amen. Listen, I want to say something real quick. I was reading something the other day, and I just want to make something like very clear. I just feel like I got to say this. Did you know that one in five people experience mental illness in some shape, form, or fashion? And that could be anxiety, that could be in depression, that could be in seasonal depression, that could be a multitude of different things. But I want you to know what I'm saying to you It doesn't look the same for each and every person. Engagement is going to look a little bit different. For some, they can be extremely bold and go out and do what it is that they need to do. For others, you might be a little bit more reserved in the way that you go and you talk to people or the way that you engage. Sometimes you might get the sweats and get real anxious about talking to somebody. 
it doesn't look one way. It's not a cookie cutter thing. Engage in the way that God's prepped you and has prepared you to do. And big things will happen. Don't think that you need to engage in the way I'm going to engage. Don't think you need to engage in the way that Sarah's going to engage. Engage in the way that God has called you to engage. Focus on that. Prepare on that. Pray on that. And God's going to use you in major ways, I promise.